It's Monday, April 26th. Happy birthday to my brother Rhodes. And Donnie Glass is here from Grisette. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia. My name is Scott Wise and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Roby Martin. Roby, a little different this week. I feel like you just really want to keep me on my toes. Like I don't really understand what's happening right now. So I'm just going to muddle through as if this is a normal situation. Instead of you and I talking for 10 minutes and then getting to our main guest, we're going to dive right in and get to our main guest. So we're just not going to bore the people that listen to us, all five of them. We're going to immediately grab a hold of who's there. Well, there's a reason, there's a method to my madness, as you said. And the reason is just very recently, I'm not sure if this is the first meal you've had indoors since getting your second vaccine, but it must, it's among the first. And you dined at this gentleman's restaurant last night, from what I understand from your social media. Yes, I'm calling it a freedom dinner because the pod that we put together, the four of us that have been at each other's house for the entirety of the pandemic every other Friday night, the last individual of the pod fully vaccinated, including that two weeks that you must wait after whatever vaccination you have. Not that maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to get into, I'm, I'm not a doctor. But anyway, just know that the last individual, he... Um, fully vaccinated. So we were like, we are going to eat inside. And where did this happen? Grisette! And who's joining us today? Donnie, who owns the doggone restaurant. Good morning, Donnie. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are y'all? We're doing good. How do you feel about Roby having her first indoor meal at your fine establishment? I feel happy for her more than anything. Um, I feel happy for everybody that, uh, you know, is double vaxxed and eating inside now. It is, you know, we're not all the way there, but damn, if it doesn't feel like that's a serious accomplishment and, a, and just a massive um, exhale for a lot of people. So, yeah, mostly joyous for her that she could do it. I, we talked about this actually at your restaurant, not you and I, Donnie, but who I was dining with. Like it's, it is a bit of privilege showing. So I wanna make sure that we are aware that that's the case that we, the four of us happen to be fully vaccinated. Um, but it looked very busy last night. It was, it was. Um, it is, it is, we are privileged to be double vaxxed. Like, you know, our whole, our, I guess we'll just call it vaccinated because that includes both of them. Our whole staff is vaccinated. Um, and we feel very lucky and privileged to be there. You know, the Richmond restaurant employees all had an opportunity to be vaccinated before the rest of the state's restaurant employees. We were, I don't know how or why, and I guess I'll just give credit to Jason Alley uh, because, you know, he's the godfather at this point and like the one in the mayor's ear and the one in city council's ear. And I don't even know if he is, but it just seems like he is. Um, who was like, hey, uh, you know, Richmond, uh, uh, Richmond office of the Department of Health. The restaurant folks should be in one B as well. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's great. It's great to be busy. Um, it's great to be. It's great to have that that just general feeling of optimism. I feel like a lot of people that come in are in a way celebrating. Um, we hear it every single night. This is our first meal out since last March. This is our first meal out since last March. And it's every single night. There's a couple tables who mention it and they just, talk, there's, they, they are like ready to cry. They're so happy to just be out. I don't even want to like take credit for their happiness. I think they like, they could sit at uh, Long John Silver's and be like, Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. So, you know, it's, it's, it feels nice to be, and I'm always, I always say I'm flattered. I'm so flattered. You came here. It's your first time out and, you know, 14 months or something like that. And you picked my restaurant. That's, that's flattering. It's nice. It feels good. You know, I'd be lying if I said it didn't, I didn't, you know, think about that. So. Oh man. Well, a, it was delicious. So Scott, good. you missed it. I'm just wanting, want you to know it was freaking delicious. B and we're going to get into this because I really think that we need to talk about Well, we are going to talk about it. So, so Scott, in your back of your mind, keep wine because- I'm taking notes. Good. Yep, you got to. So there's always, I don't even understand it. It's like, 
and there's not like a, I guess maybe you guys just don't have any, like, maybe you won't like this wine. Like, I feel like you and your restaurant staff sit together and say, hmm, yeah, one person might think this is not the greatest, so we won't buy it. Because I swear I have never had bad wine at your restaurant. Thanks. Um, and, you know, I, I th there are definitely bottles on that list that don't scratch the itch for everyone. But it's about, you know, for us, wine stewardship is a personal thing. It's about, you know, it's not about what we like. Because we sit around, I taste, we don't sit around and taste wine. That sounds like we're not doing anything. But we, I, I taste wine professionally all the time. And we, you know, from a very... I try to be as objective and academic as possible in evaluating wines and saying, this is, this is either good or this is bad. And there are a lot of great wines out there that we don't buy because they're not affordable for, you know, what we want to be doing. And there is a lot of bad wine out there that there's pressure to buy because people think they like it or people do like it. Um, and we just, we buy what we think is good. And then the even more important step of that is, reading a table you know we all read people for a living that's what serve a professional service staff does is you don't you you approach every table the same way and you pick up on cues from the moment you say hello and smile at them as to what this exchange of of social interaction is going to be like right down to what kind of wine are they going to like and are they going to be willing to roll the dice on a on a geeky northern italian white with Riesling and Chardonnay in it that y'all did. And, um, and should I stick with, um, you know, the usual suspects are they, should I just stick with Puy Fume and Chablis? Like the classics, the ones that can't go wrong. Um, reading the table is more, you know, picking good wine is easy when you're a wine professional. Reading the table is, is far more challenging. Um, but you know, Hey, that's what I got guys like Drew and Eli for. Boy, I they're, would love to know. So I would love to it. know what, what Drew was thinking when you walked in with your table. I wonder how he read your table. He said, I know that they're going to drink like 92 bottles of wine. <laughs> so I would like to sell them 92 bottles of wine. I tell you, what, it was a strong, a strong move. The people you ate with ordered a bottle of wine for the table before you even got there. <laughs> yes. So like it was, it, it was, they like sat down, they were like, we'll take a bottle of that one on the chalkboard. And he was like, all right, let's go. And that's generally a sign that these people are here to, to like, maybe, maybe not even just try something new, but they're here for the, the whole shebang. They're here for the thing. They're here for the, I don't want to call it a show because it's not a show, but they're here and they trust us. That and is the crowd that Roby rolls with the most, the, the whole shebang crowd. That's the crowd that we love to see the most, honestly. Um, they're, you know, they're the people that enjoy dining. They enjoy lounging and sitting and drinking and um, trying new stuff. And they like, you know, they like good stuff. Y'all good. I, you know, I don't want to like gas you up too hard, but you have good taste. Don't, you know? don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. do it. Cause I'm, I'll tell you, and this will, 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 this will bring us down a little bit. We, that you, we, that was the first place we went, but that was not the first place they'd been that day. <laughs> nice. Nice. They done. Yeah. <laughs> Three, three different places before wow. they got Living to it us. up with oh. the vax. Yeah, yeah they got, them. he was done. He was ready to go. And you know, what are you going to do? You got to let them do it. So while we're talking about wine, because I don't want this to go away, I'm, I'm hoping he's going to let us break some news because you know, I want to talk about this news. He, look at this deep breath he just took. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, his eyes at we, can break, we can break some news. I'm going to be real shy about details um, because they're still to be hammered out. I learned my lesson opening this restaurant, uh, opening Grisette. Don't let too many of your wild imagination details go public because odds are half of them aren't going to freaking happen. Um, you know, and it's just the nature of opening a restaurant. All of a sudden, you know, when we were planning Grisette, we were like, oh, we're going to cook with live fire. And then the engineers <laughs> looked and then the engineers looked in the building and they were like, you can't do that here. And I was like, well, shit, I already told everyone I was going to cook with live fire. So Yes, let's go for it. Break break the news. I'm so excited about this. Like I can't, so, all right. So the Baja Bean Building Correct. is about to be less disgusting because that place was gross. And what is it going to be now? It's going to be a wine 
place. And the name, we're going to be ready to roll out in a couple of weeks. Um, but it's going to be a wine joint. I don't really, it's not going to be a restaurant. It's not going to be just a retail shop. It's not going to be just the headquarters of our wine club because the wine club is so big, it needs a headquarters, which is cool. Um, it's just a fun thing to say I have a headquarters for anything. Um, but it's going to be a wine place, a wine, a wine establishment of some kind. It's going to have a retail shop component. It's going to have our, our Grisette Wine Club component. And it's also going to have an on-premise license and a very expand, uh, you know, an expansive outdoor drinking space, like right there on the corner of Lombardy and Maine. That is super exciting. Congratulations. Gonna, thank you. It's going to be really fun. And it's going to, you know, you're going to be able to expect the same wine service that you get at Grisette, which is... Um, you know, a reasonably, like a, a really reasonably priced, super affordable, but really selective um, wine choices that we present in a way that everybody should be able to understand it. So, uh, you know, wine shouldn't be nearly as intimidating as it is. And that's, you know, we're about drinking wine, not collecting wine. And um, there's a big difference in those crowds. And, um, and I think, I think people are ready to embrace wine enrichment the way that they embraced craft beer, you know, getting, getting the people that drank Mick ultra on the veil train uh, was no easy task, but, but it's happened. So. So knowing that the timelines of these things always change, what is your, uh, what is the timeline that you're comfortable establishing right now for us? Summer. We'll call it summer. Um, <laughs> Sometime between June and October. Yeah, by the calendar, that gives me most of September, too. So okay. um, I'm hoping for early summer, but if it's late summer, then fine, you know. But as Roby alluded to, the space needs work. Um, I didn't lot. allude to it. I'm going to say it out loud. Yeah, but that place yeah. was nasty. It, it, it was. was the, ugh. The, the one thing that everybody says when I tell them about it, they're like, I threw oh, up there what once. Are you, what are you doing with the bathrooms? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, the bathrooms have been completely ripped out and like floor everything, every fixture, every, uh, just everything is gone. Uh, there will be doors on the, on the toilet stalls now, which is exciting for everyone. And, and uh, it's getting a full on renovation, which You're takes ripping time. up that rug. Like that yeah. carpet crap yeah. that was right there. Oh. Yeah, everything, everything is going to be quite different, and um, because it needs to be, and uh, you know that takes time. So nothing's going to be leaking into the kitchen anymore. I mean, no. I can't even. I can't even look. I cannot be more excited that that space, which could be and is going to be with your, with you, with you behind it. I mean, it, it just could be brilliant. Like brilliant and i want to lounge cat around with my good wine by the way so I, you you like literally have given me my dreams yeah thank you <laughs> that's what we're here for you know i know it's all it's all about giving me lounge cat vibes with a glass of wine i'm sure so Definitely. let's talk about you where did you come from like i swear like all of a sudden northern virginia like birthed you all into richmond and um, there we it's, are. It's funny you say that. I haven't lived in Northern Virginia in almost 20 years. So I, you know, I graduated from high school and left and never went back. Um, I mean, I go back on Christmas to see my parents and stuff. And, but they, they come to Richmond more often than I go to Nova, for sure. I think they like it down here, uh, uh, you know, as much as I don't love it up there. And that's not to say that all of Nova is bad, but it's a great place to grow up, not a great place to live. So I left there. Um, I went to school, earned a degree I've never used, um, and then immediately started cooking like the day I got out of the army when I was 24 professionally. So um, I worked in restaurants in high school and I worked in restaurants all, you know, all throughout college in the summers and on breaks and stuff like that. So it was an industry that I was really familiar with. Um, but, you know, it has a Restaurants catch people as they're falling from their ruined plans in life often, you know, <laughs> and when I was 18, I thought I was going to be a career army officer and, um, you know, things changed and a lot changed and, um, you know, restaurants are always a place that will hire somebody who isn't quite sure what they're going to do. And I think I just kind of fell into that and it 
sucked me in and became this, you know, as Patrick O'Connell calls it, a consuming passion, an all-consuming passion. Um, For people that's who don't know who up... Patrick O'Connell is, he's the chef de cuisine at the Inn at Little Washington. Oh, the owner, the owner and executive chef, yeah. Um, he, oh, right, uh, executive chef. Sorry, I should have said yeah, that. You're no, correct. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, so that's how I got, you know, wound up in the industry um, was the way that most of us do. No, 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 like, you know, 12 year old is like, I want to own restaurants when I grow up. Some do, I guess. Um, but not, not many. Um, and then I moved a lot, you know, and I think that's important for young, for young cooks. You say like all of a sudden we just like popped up in Richmond. There was a lot that happened between, you know, 24 and 31 when I showed up that made me and that made Megan, uh, the cooks that we became, um, and I spent a lot of time in New England. I spent four or five years uh, bouncing around up there. I lived in Maine, New Hampshire, um, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island in that time. I spent a significant amount of time in Charlottesville, um, cooking in Charlottesville. Was that and public fish? That was public fish and oyster, most of it, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I and we came to Richmond to open Grisette for the same reason that a lot of chefs go to small cities to open their restaurants because you can afford to own it. Um, you know, cooks and restaurant managers don't make an, a ton of money. And the thought of opening a restaurant in DC or New York or something like that is always really hard to shake. And it's so, it's such a sexy thought of like opening a restaurant, you know, a few blocks off DuPont circle or something like that. But when you start, doing the math you were like well I could own five percent of my restaurant and then you're like well then I don't really own my restaurant um and that's a way to do it it's there is a path that 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 works for people but it wasn't going to work for me so Richmond um and I had been to Richmond a hundred thousand times between growing up in Woodbridge and living in Charlottesville and going to VMI I um you know, I had a, a lot of a Richmond circle already and I had always wanted to give it a shot and the time was right and the money was right. And we moved here to open Grisette specifically. So Ooh, Donnie, you just dropped an information bomb on us. Like we, you went through that timeline very quickly. So I want to, I want to hit the pause button and roll sure, back, sure. roll back to something you said about joining the army and, and thinking that you were going to be a career military person. Obviously, you said you joined, you went to VMI, so that was that was your definitely your plan. Um, yeah, and you said something changed. Uh, is that something you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was 15, living in Northern Virginia when 9/11 happened, and that is like I think for a lot of, especially men my age, that came from the area that I grew up in. That's a it was a really um, that was, it was a really impactful thing. And it was a really, uh, you know, we were is in, in your most impressionable age as an adolescent boy um, of seeing these things happening and watching the news and all of my parents, all, you know, my dad wasn't in the military, but a lot of our neighborhood friends, their parents worked at Quantico or the Pentagon or something. And it really, you know, and I played high school sports and one of my, you know, both of my lacrosse coaches were, were academy were one of the a naval and an air force academy uh, grad and it it really was in in my circle of friends not necessarily the thing to do but it became a very um, viable option and it you know you wanted to there was a weird and boy have I changed there was a weird there was this crazy swell of patriotism and I at 15 years old you get snapped right up in it you know it's what am I going to do when I can't, you know, I was not good enough at hockey or lacrosse to make any money doing it. Um, and I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do when I can't play sports anymore? Um, and that was real. that's like the, the one track mind of a teenage boy, I think, or a teenage person in general. What am I going to do when I can't do this thing that I love that will in two years cost me money? Um, and the military was, uh, you know, was what I decided I was going to do. Um, and I went to VMI. Um, during my freshman year at VMI, I enlisted um, in the guard, not to have school paid for, but because I thought going to basic and going to AIT and being enlisted for a few years, even in a reserve capacity, would make me a better officer. Um, and then I got deployed and I spent my senior, what would have been my senior year at VMI in Iraq and Kuwait, and very, very quickly um, 
you know, those ideals of what, uh, and I don't want to speak too like candidly about this, but all of the ideals that make one 15 year old boy enamored with joining the military, um, are in absolutely no way a reality. And there was, you know, there was no freedom being defended in, uh, in, on the Iraqi uh, Syrian border that year. Um, and that's a podcast for another time, I think, but I, you know, I was disenchanted by it and I, and I, and I, and I was crushed that like the way, what I thought my life was going to be was no longer an option at all. You know, I, I lost all trust in the government. I lost all trust in the democratic process. I lost all trust in American foreign policy. Um, when you're at the tip of that spear, you realize very quickly it is not about what uh, you were told it's about. So um, coming home from that, I went back to back to VMI to finish and finished. And then as wait, soon wait, wait, as wait, I wait, was- Wait, 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 you're back at VMI. Were you like telling people like, guys, this is not the way. No, Don't do I, it. Transfer, no, no, transfer. I also- You can in, go to W&L. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, you know, what is that year like for you? I mean, you've, you've, you've seen it. You've been in it. It was the best year of my, what I call my VMI career now, because it actually took me six full years to graduate. Um, There's but no was, shame in that. I don't, you, no. I want to make sure that, no, you take There's as no long, shame. people should take long as they yeah. want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six years is good. At VMI, it behooves you to get out of there as fast as possible. It's, <laughs> it's not a particularly fun place to, it's not like Van Wilder where he's like <laughs> em, em, embracing the, the long college experience. Um, and, uh, you know, no, I didn't. People more or less leave you alone once you come back um, from being deployed there. The commandant staff is not more relaxed with you, but more understanding with you. Um, also, almost all of my friends had graduated already. So I, you know, carried a decent GPA my last year and uh, played a couple, you know, I wrote for the cadet newspaper. I played on the golf team. I like, I actually feel like I embraced being a cadet at VMI most in my last year without the distraction of like the BS camaraderie. No, it's not BS camaraderie. It's very real camaraderie, but without BSing with my buddies and like drinking my face off when I could um so uh you know it was and I and I was able to focus a little bit more on what I thought I wanted to do with the rest of my life once I realized I didn't want to be in the military anymore I entertained the idea of making a difference in the government which is ridiculous so um you know I thought maybe CIA maybe State Department maybe I should take my whatever cats or sats after school and like you know for what reason though just to, to make money or because you said you were just you said you didn't like no that. because i thought were... i because at that point i was so i was so blown away by what was happening in the world with regards to american foreign policy that i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna do something about captain this, america you know? over here. yeah yeah well yeah but less in like uh, i'm gonna do something about this but not get shot um <laughs> So that's a solid plan in most situations. It's a good yes. plan yeah. in general. Yeah. And uh, that's how I look at life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, 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 it's not getting that shot. That is the title it's of it's your book. Hot. I yeah. want you to know that you just how to make get, a you difference without with getting shot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. that's, the, that's the subtitle. Um, <laughs> but, and then I just, you know, I think I, I w- was offered like an internship at the Pentagon, which I think every kid that graduates from VMI gets that like, you know, hey, well, if you want to work on the G6 staff or Colonel, you know, whatever, I can't, I can't swear on this, can I? I should You swear have sweared four times already. Oh, so okay. we're good to so, go. Right. <laughs> no, I love well, it. I, I actually drop, did too. <laughs> I won't drop hard Fs at least. Um, no, do, just, do all the hard Fs you want. Right. I love well, it. Scott sends you can me get text a, you know, messages. You can get a, 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 a position with Colonel <laughs> face in the Pentagon and like, <laughs> And I, and I thought I wanted that. And then, and then I was like three weeks away from starting and I got nervous and I called my cousin, Matt, who has always kind of been like my completely unqualified spiritual guru. And I was like, can I move to Colorado where you live? And he was like, yeah, Denver will take anyone. Come on out. So, <laughs> so I called my, you know, the Colonel from VMI was like, Hey man, I'm not going to take that internship that you really bent over backwards to line me up with. So I'm sorry. Um, and he was like, well, you know, it's your life, man. Screw it up if you want. And that was it. 
And I moved to Colorado and grabbed a restaurant job and lived out there for a year and then came back to Virginia. And then that kind of picks up that timeline that I had said of New England and, and uh, Charlottesville and stuff. So it was a, it feels like it was another life, you know, 18 to 23 was, um, I, I just, I can't, and I try to, my wife has a sister who's fit, who's finishing her undergrad right now. And I like try not to give too much unsolicited advice. Cause that's a tricky, any advice is a tricky thing to do, but man, life changes so quickly and what you think you want when you're 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and 23 or can be five different things and then you can flush that whole plan down the toilet and start over and it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter um but and here you know here i am and then you like catch fire for something and you get into it and you know, I always had the the aptitude to learn new things. And that's something that, you know, I think in the restaurant world is so critical is 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 learning as you go and, and applying what you've learned as you as you mature and as you grow as not just a chef and not just as a restaurant manager or a SOM, but as a restaurant owner, it's it's so important to be flexible and to to be adaptive and especially last year, obviously, but even last year, notwithstanding um, all of those lessons that I learned about, you know, adapting and being resilient and embracing the real suck of life, whether it's being in the middle East or in down in Lexington, Virginia uh, on confinement for, you know, sleeping through my alarm. Um, you know, those things all show in my work now and they all show in my restaurants and they, my staff, you know, through whether because uh, I don't you know I don't preach that stuff often but I think through osmosis um, you know as the head goes the rest of the body follows and my staff picks up on that and they've become a lot more resilient and a lot more um, you know big picture we keep the big picture in mind and the big picture is not getting shot and having a good time so as we've already established and that's uh, that's how we got to where we are now. I'm particularly enamored. Well, I obviously love your restaurant, but I'm, but this past year has been so tough on everyone. So like that, let's just put that out there. But I was particularly enamored with how you all, as I follow the restaurant industry very closely in Richmond, sure. were able to make the best. And I'm sure it didn't feel like that for you, but make the best of what was happening. And I'll list some things and you, then I would like to know your mindset behind them. So the first thing was people couldn't find food. So you started a essentially grocery mm-hmm. in which you can buy like flour and yeast and things at like, I mean, like, I think like you were selling yeast for like 10 cents. We were get, it was all free. We gave away we gave her a, we gave away probably like eight hundred pounds of flour. Um, and so it was free, always, yeah. <laughs> so free nine, yeah. So like that was great. Then you were like, okay, clearly people are drinking, so let's start a wine club. Which you just told me you have a hundred and sixty eight. Yeah. Wine club members. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of wine. So that's, that's very cool. And then you were like, we're doing all these flour and yeast things, but maybe, maybe we didn't start this right. So we will teach you how to make bread. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I'm just going through the things that I saw. I'm sure yeah. there were a thousand other ones, but how like, and you were faster. You really were faster than most of the restaurants with that I hate the word pivot, but I have to yeah, use well, it. Well, it is—it's the word of 2020, you know. You with the pivoting. So, where did that come from? It was it just like I know that I need this, so I'll put it out to the world. Um. Yes, I, it's it's in my it's so ingrained in my nature to be busy. Like I I I don't do well with. My wife would be the first to tell you this. I don't do well with just relaxing and sitting and just chilling and, and waiting, um, especially waiting. God, I hate waiting. But um, I feel like I'm just a, a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode about to happen every day in my life when I'm waiting for something. Like I'm becoming more and more like Larry David. But um, it's not a bad thing, by the way. Uh, it happens to all of us, I think, eventually. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, part of it was stay just staying busy and staying engaged and staying engaged with 
you know, we had six months from opening Grisette until COVID happened. And it was just enough time for us to like, it was just enough time to get the plane off the runway and we were in the air and it was, and we were, and we were doing great. You know, the, the holidays in 2019 felt good. We had the opening, opening kinks worked out and things were picking up and the staff was settling into place. Um, and we were still starting to, you know, we were just starting to like hit our stride and then it all came crashing down or it all could have come crashing down. And it, and I just refused to let that happen. I was like, we have momentum. And if, and, you know, as, as I relate almost everything to a sports analogy, like when, when you have the Mo, you got to keep the Mo, like you can't, you got to keep the ice tilted in your favor. And, and, and I felt an obligation to my staff and to my restaurant and to my family and all of this stuff to keep going and to not let this define us because, and we still have these, I, I still have screenshots of these early text message threads on like March 25th and March 29th and April you know 10th of last year that were like, all right, when is this going to be over? You think we'll be open for, uh, for 4th of July? And we're like, yeah, we'll probably be open for 4th of July. I, this has got to be over soon. And then, you know, on May 5th and May 10th, it's like, all right, so 2023, 2022, like, what are we looking at now? And it became this thing where it was like, this is life now. And if you're not, if you're not able to process that quickly, you're going to be caught on your heels in from a, from an entrepreneurial and business standpoint. Um, and if you're not ready to process that quickly, emotionally and personally, you're going to have a tough go of things. Um, and I think processing quickly is really what my, what my team and I did the best is, okay, this is what we have to do now. Let's just, let's do it. Um, there can be, you know, a lot to be said for planning things out. Um, you know, I, I make like pen and paper, um, to-do lists every day. But what, what it comes down to is like knocking those things off your list. Are you actually going to like do the first thing on your list? It's going to take you, it's going to take me four hours to put our entire wine inventory on our toast platform to be user-friendly so it can be purchased online. Like, well, get your computer out and get to work because it ain't going to sell itself. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of the mentality we went with. Like pivoting, yes, but once you decide what you think might be a good idea, let's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, you know, what is it going to cost to do? Can we afford to do it? And if the answer is yes, well, then let's give it a shot because traditional dinner service ain't happening anytime soon. And that was, you know, that's what we realized throughout last spring is like, you know, we ain't, we ain't waiting this thing out. There's There's no way to wait it out. Um, I mean, you could have, and a lot of people that tried to wait it out didn't make it. And a lot of people that tried to, tried to wait it out, you know, didn't necessarily, uh, I don't think maybe have the sense of ease that I had all of last year. Never at any point during COVID did this get even really like, and it sounds so and like privileged and all this stuff, but you know, it didn't ever feel that stressful for me because we're just, you know, whatever. It's a tiny restaurant. I didn't have that much to worry about. I had a, our rent is not that bad. And my landlord was really, really flexible in the beginning. Jeff's a good dude. He's a, I mean, the, you, you work with the bunch. He's freaking amazing. They called us. They called us the week after we had to close and they were like, Hey, don't worry about rent for three months. You don't ever have to pay us back. Just don't worry about it. You got a lot on your mind right now. The last thing you need to be worried about is paying us, you know, and us being Urban Core. Um, Thank you for saying that. I was going to let yeah, you say it, but yeah, yeah Jeff and, Bunch and the Urban Core guys are so great. And it was, it was great. I mean, we, that, that even just that one little thing um, was, was so, it was such a nice gesture and I think in, in the like chain of paying it forward and nice gestures, it felt, you know, it felt really easy to give away 800 pounds of flour, 500 pounds. I don't even know how much it was when my landlord was like, don't sweat it, man. You got, you got, you got a lot to deal with right now. Don't worry about it. Um, so we, you know, and not my entire staff didn't feel the same way that I did. Um, a lot of people were 
really stressed out. And a lot of people were, you know, having these personal moments of, of like existential reflection of what, what the hell is happening in the world. And rightfully so I'm lucky, you know, it didn't take my parents or my grandparents or anybody that I was really close with. There were some scares, there were some hospitalizations, there were some ventilators. There was, it was not, we didn't, you know, skate through the whole thing unscathed, but we did from a death perspective. And um, I, you know, I just, I, you know, I, I can't emphasize how we were probably the exception to the rule there. So it's easy for me to say that 2020 really in all, in all, once it's all in the past, especially wasn't that quote that bad for me. Um, but it's because I was really lucky and my family didn't die, you know, and I didn't lose my business. Um, and I couldn't do anything about the family dying part of that. I just got lucky there, but not losing the business. I mean, I woke up every day and got after it. You know, I took a little bit of time off um, that I, I hadn't taken as much time off as I took off last spring in my entire life since I was 14 before I had my first job, you know, and that part was nice. Spending time with my wife who was pregnant. We found out we were pregnant a week before the restaurant closed, which was weird timing, but Good hey, job, you know, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was easy. Um, uh, <laughs> But I was going to ask you about that, Donnie. Um, obviously, I, I don't know. He'd like to well. ask you about your pregnancy. Well, so just where did babies you. come from, Donnie? Yeah, at least, yeah. Tell us about it. I do want to ask about that because I, I follow your wife on Instagram. She's a great follow and, and seems like a great she's, person. I, I don't know. She her is so unintentionally hilarious. Yeah, she's very funny. Yeah. Very, very funny. Um, she doesn't think she's that funny, which I like. Oh no, she's wrong. Yeah, she's, she's, she's very great. funny. Yeah. Oh no, she's wrong. I'll go with that. Yeah. She's one hundred percent wrong. She should really think she's funny. So, you you mentioned that you found out you were having a baby in March. I'm guessing March of 2020. That's when it happened. That's when you found out. Or March yeah, either last week of February or first week of March. I don't remember exactly which one it was. Sometime around there. Yeah, he was born on Thanksgiving Day. So whatever you know, nine months plus a month. I, I, I don't remember. Tell us about how that experience has changed you as, as a, both a person and, and a professional. Um, well, as a person, it's completely, and this is like the, I don't know if it's the most cliche thing in the world, but it's completely changed my life. Um, it's completely ruined the life I had. Um, <laughs> Uh, not funny, not funny. Not no, funny. it's true. I, I'm, I'm like <laughs> workshopping this stand-up bit where I just talk about how much I can't stand my kid, but I never follow it up with the like, but I love him. Um, and I just like <laughs> let the audience just hang on me hating my, my kids. Um, but it, com it did completely ruin what I had. And But at the same time, it started this new thing that I have never had before that in a lot of ways uh, is, is really, really fulfilling. Um, and a lot, and what I had, you know, it was time, I feel, I really do genuinely feel like it was time to like put some of my old habits to bed. Um, you know, the 80 hour work weeks, the, you know, probably not probably definitely a little too much alcohol, like, and, and not that I was like going on benders or anything, but like, especially in the restaurant world, you find yourself having three or four drinks every night and you're, and then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I'm having three or four drinks so, you know, for my own health, um, it was, it was a good thing. And just for my own, for my own, you know, approach to life, it's been a good thing. It, there are bigger things in this world than opening the next great American restaurant. Um, and there are bigger things in this world than, you know, than just, than sweating little, th the little stuff. Like now I'm in a place in my life where I'm like, man, I, I'm trying to, in five years, not have to work service on Saturdays so I can coach his whatever he wants to do. You know, I'll be his, 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 his whatever sport he wants to play. I'll be his ballet coach. I don't care. Like, I'll learn everything there is to know about ballet to be his ballet coach, or at least, like, be helpful to the actual instructor. Um, I would come be... watch you learn ballet. Yeah. <laughs> I can help you there because I totally did a lot of ballet. But I will tell you, I'd rather watch you learn. But thank you yeah well i'll let you know if that if it comes to that but you know now i want to be involved in this kid's life more than i want to be involved in my restaurant all the time and that's not to say i don't still just my thoughts are completely dominated by my 
plans for, you know, where my hospitality career is going and what's happening currently at Grisette and what's happening with the wine shop build out um, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it just, as, as everything in my life has, it's added much, much needed perspective of, of, you know, I'm so glad that my dad took a really active role in my upbringing. And my dad worked a lot when I was growing up. I mean, my dad was often out of the house before I woke up before school and home in time for dinner at seven o'clock. Like he was a, and he's, he's been self-employed his entire life. And, um, you know, but he always, 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 you know, made sacrifices and made time to be around um, when I needed him to be around. And I think taking, taking that kind of approach to parenting and, you know, bringing, you know, Teddy comes to the restaurant every day. He comes to the restaurant every single day and hangs out for a couple hours, either in a carrier strapped to me or Megan's chest or in his stroller, taking a nap. Um, he's not quite ready to like crawl or walk around, but as soon as he can, then things get dicey and we have to figure out what we'll do with him at the restaurant. But um, give him a knife. That's what my mom work. did yeah. with us. Yeah. Get him There's a stool two. and doing dishes. Uh, you can grate cheese. Yeah. We, yeah. It was not good for us. The, the over under <laughs> right now on when he when he works his first shift at Grisette is seven and I'm taking the under, um, <laughs> not a full eight hour shift, but like a helpful and a shift half. where he actually <laughs> does something. Um, Great dad, you know, bad yeah. boss. Yeah. I mean, Hey, somebody has got to clean the baseboards and he's lowest to the ground. Lowest so. to the ground. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's been a, it's been a cool experience. It's been fun. It's, it's not always fun, obviously. And they're, especially in the very beginning for new parents, like it sucks. The first two months just sucks so hard. Um, and there are like parts of it that are cute and adorable and heartwarming and all that stuff. But when it comes to what your lifestyle becomes just immediately, um, it sucks. And so, and my lifestyle didn't change nearly as much as Megan's. Um, so shame on me for complaining about anything because Megan did 99.9 repeating percent of the heavy lifting in the first two months and continues to do most of it. Um, but you know, I tried to be helpful, but there's only so much you can do. Sure. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you can be there, which it sounds like you were, which I, yeah, I was great. there. That's I took, very, very took, important. A, took like, took a couple full weeks off. Um, you know, again, my staff is so good um, at just at just knowing what I would want to do in a in a, any given situation. We're all really close, my staff and I. And like, I I sometimes joke, but in all jest, it's truth that there's like a little twinge of Michael Scott to my leadership style of like, you know, these people are my friends, or at least I pay them to pretend to be my friends. I guess at some point, not always. I don't like. You know, I, I don't cross those like weird lines that he crosses, but, um, you know, they, they know me and they know what I would do if a guest comes in and we're full and they say, hi, uh, I'm John Doe and I have a seven o'clock reservation for six people. And we're like, no, you don't. You know, the, the book, I, I'll show you the iPad right here. And there is no record of you ever making a reservation. You're not in our system. You know, who did you talk to someone on the phone? Did you think you make it on? It made it online, and like that, which could potentially be a volatile situation at the front door. Like, they know what I would do. They know exactly what I would do. And um, being able to step away for a few weeks when the baby was born, and just know, like, all right, fine. Like, if anything happens. Eli knows what I would do, or Johnny knows what I would do, or Matt knows what I would do. Dylan knows what I would do. Like, you know, all of these people um, that when Megan and I were there all the time, just watched us and watched the way that we approached service uh, and approached wine stewardship and approached food and cooking. Um, they all, they all know what's going on and they know what, you know, it's not even now what I would do. It's what Grisette does. You know, when you come to Grisette, you're getting not, you know, the, my treatment, the way that I would do things. It's the way that I do things now that I've seen my staff doing them the way that they do them, because I, my ways have changed quite a bit. Um, what I thought this restaurant was going to be is not what it is. And I'm so grateful for that. That's a perfect segue, Donnie. It's a perfect segue for me. We have a crack research staff here at Eden, mm -hmm. Virginia. We have a whole team of researchers. that dig All into your zero life. of them. They're a huge team. It's a big, big budget. Team. 
One of those yeah, researchers yeah. found an article uh, in which you were quoted before the restaurant opened, where you stated what you thought Grisette was going to be, or what you mm -hmm. hoped it was going to be. Do you recall what you told my friend Jamal over at Richmond BizSense? I think the quote you're referring to, because I think about it all the time, is that we're going to be some combination of can-can and, um, and chicken fiesta. And? Oh, God. And, and Cheers? Gramercy Saison. Tavern? Saison. Saison. Okay. All right. Well. Those were the three. So yeah. that was that was your quote in in 2018, I believe, when yeah. uh, when Richmond Biz Sense and Jamal interviewed you about about opening the restaurant. Where are you I now in, in your quest between Can Can Chicken Fiesta and Saison? Where, where are you? Oh right Jesus, I'm like I feel like we're quite unlike all of them. Um, well, <laughs> let's start with the obvious. We're not Chicken Fiesta. Um, I you know when we were sad face for yeah when we planned this it's so good it took I love chicken fiesta so <laughs> much so I'm much joking. more than anybody reasonably should um oh dude the soup man I can't get it's, enough it's <laughs> crazy it's it's crazy how good it is and um you know anyways uh when we were planning this you know I've been planning this restaurant in my head for 10 years and in some capacity not this exact version of it or whatever but as our planning became more focused in 2017 and 2018 um, a big part of this you know when I lived in Rhode Island and when I lived in Providence I worked at a place called the Parkside and the Parkside was your quintessential French bistro and rotisserie so you know Wait staff all in vests and black vests, black ties, black pants, white shirt, um, kitchen all in white chef coats. Um, and there was a big, like this big fire engine red rotisol rotisserie that you see in farmer's markets in Lyon, where people just, you know, pull them out of the back of their trailer and they just throw a bunch of chickens up on skewers and roast them um, over open flames. And I really, really wanted that. And uh, that was going to be that aspect of it. And I always thought, man, this is just such a, it's such a brilliant, it's, it's such an, a joyful thing to eat is a perfectly roasted chicken. And I still maintain that. And we put it on the menu from time to time as a special for like, for families and stuff where we do a roasted chicken with sides and a bottle of wine. And it always sells well. And we like doing it because we understand how satisfying it is to eat a perfect piece of, of roasted chicken. But all of a sudden, the like harsh reality of, of space and money uh, come into play. And as a first time restaurant owner, I was, you know, not, I don't think, and this is when I like didn't want to go into detail about the wine shop is I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite aware of how this, how intense the process was going to be of what I was limited to. And, you know, the space couldn't support another cooking apparatus. I, you know, my hood, the hood in that space was like, including installation was like $45,000, which was, you know, about a quarter of my budget. And I was like, well, to have a, to have a hood that could handle even more, you know, equipment under it, it would need to be bigger. And I couldn't spend any more money. I was out. Like when we opened the restaurant, my wife and I had like a couple hundred dollars and like, that was it. And if the restaurant didn't do well, it was very much back to the drawing board. And we were just, we were out of money. We borrowed and borrowed and borrowed and maxed out credit cards. And it, um, and we got open with like, just, you know, and my friend, uh, the owner of public says this example all the time. And it was like the same thing for us of the first week you're open, like crap, we need 20 more steak knives because we don't have enough steak knives. And you're like, well, we have to wait until Tuesday to buy them. Cause like, you just, <laughs> you just, cause there's no money. Cause I don't have any money and, and the bank won't give me any money now. And my credit cards are all maxed and I need to start paying them off soon. Um, so that's why that changed mostly. Um, you know, I think we are still somewhere between Can Can and Cezanne in a lot of very flattering ways for both of those restaurants. Um, you know, I love both of those restaurants a lot. Um, you know, I think Paul Kincaid's um, warmth of, of hosting, I think Paul Kincaid is, who's the owner and general manager of Can Can, is the best maitre d' in the city. Um, between him and Drew, um, the other gentleman that works the front door there, uh, they are so warm and so inviting 
And if somebody walks in that example I used earlier, it's like, I have a reservation for six people and they don't. If you need that news broken the right way, Paul's the guy that needs to be breaking it to you. And I try to emulate that of Paul, of, of his just general warmth and, and, and the, like, you know, the vibe that CanCan carries when it's busy. And there's nothing like the din of a busy CanCan. Like that place gets loud and it's awesome. Um, that's like where I want to be. I want to be like drinking bottles of wine at CanCan when there's like not a single seat in the house without a button it. Um, and so, and then there's Saison, which is this like cute, more eclectic, more, um, it feels very personal. You know that like Jay loves this restaurant. Like I, you just feel, you feel like you could be sitting in his like parlor. Um, and that aspect of it, I, you know, I think we've been successful with, um, and, and we did kind of stay true to that. Um, so, you know, between those two, I, I don't think I was too far off from my two early projection. Two out of three is uh, Two good. out of three ain't bad. Um, the late great just passed. Uh, what's Jimmy the guy Steinman, that wrote that song? Right. Jimmy Steinman, yeah. yeah. Um, Look at the both of you, quick, nice. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, that, you know, what we think our restaurant will be before we open it as, as opposed to what it actually is when you open, as opposed to what it is a year and a half down the road, that, that changes and it, and it should, you know, it should change because, uh, you know, a bullheaded restaurant owner isn't often, you know, you can be committed and you can be uh, resilient and not be foolishly stubborn. And that's, you know, that's what this place has become. Uh, it was going to be a little more buttoned, you know, the plans for Grisette were for it to be a little more buttoned up and a little bit more, um, polished and refined and all those things and once we opened and people started having fun there we were like well maybe we can like let our hair down a little bit maybe we can dress this down more and people will embrace that more and i think they have we we had a photographer in last week to take some pictures of the space we're redoing our website because it's a squarespace atrocity that i personally built with megan and my my cousin matt my aforementioned spiritual guru um, and it looks like I built a Squarespace <laughs> website. It's very bad. Um, and we're working with this awesome company who's doing, a, who's, who did this thing where they redo, they redid a couple restaurant websites for free when COVID happened. It's called Fresh Move Media. Can't recommend them enough. Um, but he came in and did some, some pictures and I, he was like smoothing the front of my shirt down. He was like, why don't I just, why don't I button this one? I was like, I don't, I don't button that one. Like, and he was like, well, for the picture. And I was like, no, I, I don't, but like, there's, that would be a poor representation of who I am. Like, I don't button that button ever. Love it. Um, and that's like kind of what our restaurant has become. This place where we don't do the top button or even the, what I'm three buttons like down today. Button. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah it's the it. third button. I just, we just don't do the third button. You're letting, you're letting and, it flow today. I like that, that is a drink name, Johnny. The, yeah, third, the button. third button. That is a yeah. drink name. Um, and I think it, it, it frustrates Johnny that I don't do the third button, not <laughs> me personally on my shirt. Um, but like Johnny comes All from <laughs> Johnny. Yeah. Johnny comes from Johnny's our bar manager comes from, he's very particular about, about everything, about everything. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You know, um, in, in the best ways and the worst ways, but mostly the best third, ways. Third podcast guest. He's really yeah. very particular. Yeah. He's very particular. He comes, you know, he's a French laundry alum. He thinks everything should look a little nicer than it does. Um, and Says his the guy in the backward hat last night. Oh yeah. I'm sure he does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> but you know, that's his, that's his style. And he keeps me honest in a lot of ways because when something isn't buttoned up, when the fourth button is undone, he's like, yo, check your like button but button up pal like you lock it up no you lock it up and it becomes this like we all need a it, johnny in our life we, yeah, we all need all a johnny do. every That's restaurant amazing. owner you know it, we all need a johnny in our life and every restaurant owner needs a johnny and and when, where johnny is is there saying like this this needs to look more elegant like this looks like i'll be honest with you this looks like um i also have you know i have an incredible kitchen staff who is always saying, hey, why are we doing it like this? You know, we don't need to do it like this. What if we did it like this instead? And I'm like, oh, damn, that's a that's a great idea. We should do it like that. And then I, you know, and then I have Eli, who I don't, I, I, Eli's, you know, 
neither of you probably know Eli, but he's been on, he's one of the few people that's still there from the day we opened and we've worked together in some capacity for four years now, got to be getting close to five years now. And um, he's the one that's like, Hey, I know we want to add bar seating because now we can, but if we add another, if we add bar seating, we're going to lose two, two tops inside and old, you know, older people don't want to sit at the bar. And if we only have one deuce inside, we have absolutely no flexibility when it comes to seating a two top. And I'm like, God, thank God you work here. Like, cause I was so like, all right, let's go bar seating. And he's like, yeah, but let's think about this. Um, so it's, it, you know, Grisette has become this culmination of what I thought it was going to be mixed with what my limitations were both financially and with the size of my space and my building mixed with, you know, my, the perspectives of eight or nine other people that work with me, a lot of Megan's perspective, Megan was the general manager until she had the baby until really until she hit her third trimester, Megan was there every day, working service every day, giving me her perspective, which is, was, in, in just so important because she keeps me grounded too. She's the one that's like, you have too many ideas. Why don't we trim your ideas down to like two for today? And we'll revisit the rest of them when those two ideas are actually happening. Um, <laughs> and, you know, everybody needs a Megan in their life too. So, it, you know, we are only successful because we are a sum of our parts, you know, and, and I, I just can't beat that dead horse enough um, that I'm incredibly lucky to have the people that work with me, you know, that to like borrow another Michael Scottism, you know, they work with me, they don't work for me, unless it's Toby, then he works for me. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, they work with me, we all work, we work together. And, and there's almost never a time where I have to like put my foot down and play any kind of owner card or, or even a general manager card, because it's just there's an understanding that this is the mission is the goal of this whole place is to just have everybody that walks through the door have a great time. That's it. And our way of doing that is providing them with good food and good wine and not having it be super, super expensive. You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Donnie Glass, Scott Wise, and Roby Martin. I do want to tell you this. So Wednesday, we got like 42,654 meals from Kate Uncorked, which is like a meal service. We actually just got one set of meals, but it's taken us till we're still not done. But I need to talk to you about the beef ragout. It's chickpea pasta. So it's like right up your alley, Scott. Low carb, oh, really I fell delicious. Off a low carb train this week, big time. I need to get back on that train. <laughs> well, can I tell you this is a good way What's for you name? to do it? What's the business again? It's, it's, it's called it's www. You sound so old right now. Kate. W, is it https colon slash slash? Yes, colon slash slash. Yeah, um, I am a thousand, and this is how you get to it, old people that listen to us. www.kateuncorked com. Is she on the Facebook also? She's on the face spaces and on the grams. We have a winner. What do you mean we have a winner? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about, Ruby? So it's been a, we we're a little late on this, Scott, and I am, um, it's not my fault. <laughs> I would tell you, we have a winner of the TBT prize pack. Can you tell everyone who that is, please? We have a winner of the TBT prize pack. We chose 245 people entered. We did our not choose them. They entered, but we they chose entered. a winner we from We chose them. a winner. Random.org. We have video of it to prove that we did not cheat the it system. It was random. Here. The uh, Instagram handle that won the TBT Algayo mystery box is Bard CM, B A R D C M. And according to that uh, account, Bard CM in real life is Cassandra Bard. Nice. Yes, a Charlottesville native who loves dining in RVA, according to her Instagram. Oh, good. So thank you, well, Cassandra. Drive on in and get a pack of tacos. A what? A burritos. 
a pack. Farmville came out right there. <laughs> Ryan teases me about that all the time. I guess I said something about a bed and instead I said bed and he like completely teases me about it because you know there's no such thing as a Myrtle Beach accent. Clearly not. No, so, yeah, nothing. Um, Cassandra, we're going to get with Carlos. We'll let him know you're on the way. He has a, pr- a mystery box prepared and ready for you to pick up and uh, you should be good to go. So thank you for listening and for playing and we'll hopefully have some more contests down the line. Keep entering. We hit 3,000 Instagram uh, followers. Did you notice that, Ruby? I, I, I did notice, actually. That's yes. Exciting. What did you do? Nice. How did you juice it? Was it all I Carlos ju- or did you do something? It was all Carlos. It has to be all Carlos. Nope, I didn't juice anything. It's just the juice behind those tacos. It's the content we have. It's all that great content. <laughs> it's, yeah. So it, it is. Your little, um, what's her name? Joy? Joy Fultz, yes. Our real, she's our real queen, R-E-E-L, our real queen. She's going to teach me how to do those. You're going to see me dancing on the street, eating food in Richmond. It's going to be great. I promise to have dollar bills. You see this shoulder shimmy? <laughs> yes. Is Richmond yes. ready for this shoulder shimmy? No, no, no one's ready for that shoulder shimmy, Scott. Like, don't do that again. <laughs> like, actually, never. I, that, do people allow you to do that at fish concerts? Because I feel like that's, that's why you don't get invited anywhere. This episode of Eat It, Virgi- Eat It Virginia. <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no! Oh, God, no.